Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Cat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 137, I Fell Apart. This week we're discussing season 5, episode 17 of Buffy, Forever, and series 9, episode 9 of Doctor Who, Sleep No More. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. All right, Buffy following up the body with forever. Mm. Um, so I want to start and spend probably a good chunk of our time on Buffy and Dawn. Um, because even though the body is, you know, pretty much totally about their kind of experience of the aftermath of Joyce's death. It's really about that very immediate reaction, you know, kind of what the experience of that first kind of very numb couple of hours is like, whereas like in some ways that this is the more kind of like, you know, what you think of as the aftermath of like, okay, all the planning and the arranging of things and, the kind of struggling to, you know, get back to some normalcy and, you know, get back into your life and your routine and everything. So this is sort of like, you know, I guess in some ways the more, in some ways a more necessary episode. Like even if you didn't do an episode like The Body, you'd still have to do an episode like this to kind of mm. unwind before you can go back into like any sort of action. You have to have like, you yeah. know. This moment of actually putting things into, okay, where are they going to be now that Joyce is gone? Right. right. Um, yeah. And I mean, we don't really know how much time has passed either. Right. Between right. the, like, I mean, typically there might be a few days, right. most, you know, between, you know, a death and, and like right. the funeral or whatever, but. Right. Um, maybe a week at the most, but like we don't right. actually have a sense of like how much time has passed. So it does, it does sort of feel like, like obviously, you know, the last shot we saw was sort of Dawn reaching out to like maybe touch the body, and we're not there. Like we don't see does she, does she not, you know, right. whatever. But you know, we open here with picking out a casket. Like it's very much. Uh, you know, yes, clearly some time has passed, but is it the next day? Is it a couple of days later? Like, yeah. probably not a week later. Like, right. you know, like there's very, it's very sort of ambiguous, really, how much time they've been spending mm-hmm. dealing with this stuff. Yeah. Um, but you do get the, you know, you get the sense that that rawness has sort of gone and mm-hmm. it's replaced, especially for Buffy anyway. Yeah. The, with sort of not numbness, but sort of a forced, you know, her business like, yeah, you know, yes, we'll yeah. choose this one and all of that. Right. And that's kind of Buffy's story in this episode is is trying to be business like and be the, you know, fill this kind of parental vacuum, which now exists, you know, where she, you know, kind of like what she says at the end, if who's going to be the mom if, you know, if Joyce isn't around to, to, to be the mom anymore and, you know, trying to kind of, you know, but in that way, 
distance herself from the rawness. Like this is busy work. This is stuff to do so that she can, you know, I mean, it's stuff that does need to be done, but it's also, you know, kind of a crutch to help her, you know, move into this role that she doesn't really feel comfortable or prepared for or anything. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like kind of starting with the episode, you do get that emphasis on like the, you know, um, requirements of all the things she has to do. So like shopping for the coffin and, um, going through the funeral plans, like, you know, she has, you know, the Scoobies over for dinner, but you get the idea that as they're having dinner, they're going through all the different arrangements that need to be made. And Right. Um, this is, is kind of a working dinner. Right. <laughs> like, in right. a way, yeah. Right. And it's just like, you know, and I kind of like that you get the sense of it's just the kind of inner circle. Like, you oh, know, yeah. Anya and, and Tara aren't there. It's just the people who are kind of, I guess, right. the leadership of the of the group are kind of having their, you know, leadership meeting to decide, you know, as... I mean, all of these are Buffy's decisions, obviously, but it's Giles yeah. and it's Giles and Willow and Xander who are there to sort of, and it's you know. right, and it's not a Scooby thing. It's it's right. her closest friends, which right. is what you would have, you know, in that situation. It, mm-hmm. You know, you would have your best friends being there, and yeah, I mean, yes, it happens to be the Scoobies, but it's you right. know, it is that thing of. When you're going through this stuff, you just want the people who understand you best and who can, you know, like, you know, even, um, you know, with the body, Giles was like, let me do as much of the paperwork as I can, you mm-hmm. know, you, you know, so you don't have to have to bother with it because there is that sense of, you know, Buffy, I'm sure. Well, not I'd like she's clearly over feeling overwhelmed by all the things that has to be done, Mm -hmm. but also sort of the organizing of it is what's sort of keeping her sane or, you know, from breaking down or whatever. Um, So, yeah. And, but then there's also the added worries too, of like not being able to reach her father and like, he's apparently in Spain somewhere and we don't Mm -hmm. know why or whatever, but yeah, like he's, he doesn't know what's going on and maybe doesn't even care. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I, that seems kind of harsh, but we haven't heard from the guy in years. So, sure, you know, sure. like we don't, we don't know what their relationship is. Like, I don't even think we've heard Buffy mention him in a couple seasons at least, you know? Right. Um, right. So just sort of even that mention is sort of like, Oh yeah. Like, yeah. Like not only is this, there is like, this dad out there. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 it's representative too of like you know, there's probably aunts and uncles. We don't know if Joyce had mm-hmm. sisters or brothers, you know, or any other family or you know what. So there's probably all of that kind of thing as well. Like we never hear them talk about it, but those are the sorts of things that you would have to think about. You know, right. uh, even like her gallery, you know, and her customers, and you know that kind of stuff, like. I don't know that Buffy is necessarily taking that on yet, but like Mm -hmm. it's sort of like one of those down the road things that maybe has occurred to her, you know? So I'm sure there's like all of these, yeah, you know, those types of, of things that would come in into play. Um, And I'm glad you mentioned that about family because that's true that we don't see or even hear about one. Um, And 
even the fact that they don't, Joyce didn't even want a wake afterwards. So, you know, if there is family, they're not necess- they're certainly not close, at least, you know, right. the implication to me is that the family situation, there's not this close extended family. So I think that even further isolates like, mm-hmm. you know, Dawn and Buffy, but like, especially Buffy as the responsible, you know, I mean, Dawn is certainly isolated in, in her own way, but I sure. think, but this idea of Buffy being kind of, you know, literally made the, the only grown up, you know, not only did they lose functionally their only parent, but there doesn't even seem to be like a, a grandparent or an aunt or anything who kind of steps into you know, assist with these kinds of things. It's mostly falling to Buffy and whatever help her friends, you know, support that her friends are giving her. Right. Um, you know, so, uh, you know, that's interesting. And, you know, you're getting this kind of like, you know, miscommunications all over the place between Buffy and Dawn of, of you know, they're each kind of, trapped in their own bubble of grief and and not really understanding, you know, where the other one is coming from, really, or, you know, misunderstanding the kind of cues that they're getting, you know, so Dawn um, kind of reading Buffy's, you know, very, like, stoic business-like thing mm-hmm. as as kind of disinterest and that she doesn't, you know, care and... Um, you know, or Dawn feeling not included in these decisions, like the fact that she didn't know about Joyce's wishes before she died and everything, um, you know, which is more of kind of that Dawn thing of not being told, like there's always this continual sense of everybody knows more than Dawn, um, mm. even about important things like that have to do with life and death and her mom and her own nature and everything. Everybody always knows more than Dawn. Um, And I liked that they stuck in, there's the thing where, um, you know, you can kind of see how those sorts of miscommunications happen because I like that they stuck in the line of Buffy to Angel kind of saying, you know, it would be easier if it was just me, Um, which she means you know, she doesn't mean in a bad way. She means in a sense of, you know, I, it's okay if, if I'm left on my own, but she feels, you know, sorry for Dawn and feels this extra added responsibility to take care of Dawn and support her and do all these things. But you can kind of like see that to jump ahead to the end, when Dawn kind of accuses her of saying, you know, you wish I wasn't around. It's kind of true in a way. Like, not necessarily in the way that Dawn thinks she means it, you know, not in a sense of not loving her or wishing that she wasn't there. Right. But there is a truth there that, you know, she's, Dawn isn't completely paranoid, you know, um, she's picking up on this, you know, there is probably some reluctance of Buffy to, you know, or maybe Buffy is avoiding her to the extent of, you know, giving her this impression that she kind of, in a way, does wish it was just her on her own, because in some ways that would be easier. Um, 
So, you know, I think they did a fairly good job of showing those kinds of miscommunications where Dawn's accusation isn't totally right, but it's not totally wrong either. There's she's she's reading some cue and and or misreading some cue, but one that is actually there in the first place, I think. Well, and yeah, I mean, I think. I think a lot of that is, you know, like even I know we're sort of jumping to the end by even talking about this, but, you know, like um, when Buffy says, you know, uh, I have to do these things. I'm really I'm really trying, you know, to do it because mom always knew. And who's who's going to be her if I'm not, you know, Don says, nobody's asking you to be mom. Buffy says, well, who's going to be if I'm not, huh? Have you even thought about that? Who's going to make things better? And that's, you know, Buffy, that's the business-like attitude, right? It's I'm making things better by doing it this way. And sort of the, you know, putting up a front or whatever you want to call it of like, you know, I'm making the decision and like, we're moving forward. Like this is the casket. Mm-hmm. decisions made let's not talk about it anymore and yeah. whatever like you know now we can move on like you get the sense that Buffy's kind of maybe putting on that facade you know for Don like it's not what right. Don wants but it's what Buffy thinks Don needs right. you know right. and so right. like that's that's where the miscommunication is coming in it's not that like Buffy's Actually, not necessarily. I don't. I don't think she's necessarily saying like, "I wish Don wasn't here because it would be easier." It's, it's that, if if, I mean, yes, you're right. She is sort of saying that, but at the same time, it's, you know, she's trying to be the mother when she doesn't need to be the mother. She just all Don wants is to have someone to commiserate with and to right. cry with and to right. you know like feel you know whereas Buffy is sort of putting on that face of no I I need to fix things and that's Mm -hmm. not the way that Dawn sees it at all right right um and along with that too you can kind of see the kind of um you know the way that Buffy kind of in retrospect you know this isn't to say that her fears aren't, you know, or her anxieties aren't legitimate because they absolutely are. But at the same time, you can kind of see the kind of whitewashing of the of the past of, you know, saying, you know, mom was the strong one. She always knew how to make things better, just what to say, um, you know, and, and she was this she's kind of putting her on this pedestal of the perfect grown up, you know, but I think one of the things that we saw through the, you know, first five seasons of the show was how Buffy and Joyce didn't have a perfect relationship that it took, you know, from the early seasons, it took a while for the relationship to mature and, you know, and for Joyce to kind of, you know, accept Buffy as the kind of person that she was and to learn you know obviously a lot of that had to do with learning that she was the slayer and there are such things as vampires and things like that but it was this ongoing sort of process and you saw them have I think more of a mature relationship as the 
as the series went on. And so there's this kind of notion of, I think that every kind of young adult goes through of everybody else knows automatically how to be a grown up and I don't. And everybody else has it together and I'm, you know, just faking it. Um, Whereas I think what you come to realize is that that's how everybody feels, you know, and nobody really knows what they're doing. And I don't think that, you know, to say Joyce always did the right thing and always said the right thing. I don't think that was true at all. You know, Um, that's not to say she was a bad parent either. She was, you know. A very, she was a normal. Thing. She was a, a flawed human being, as we all are. So there's that kind of thing of, you know, Buffy with this self-imposed sense of responsibility of things have to be perfect. And, and there's something wrong with me if I don't know how to react in this situation. Whereas that's being, I think, pretty unfair to herself um, and probably, you know, a bit unrealistic about her own memories of her mother and everything. Um, So I think, you know, a lot of this episode is, you know, Buffy kind of breaking out of some of these notions of how she's supposed to be acting after, you know, um, in the aftermath of, you know, them losing Joyce and everything. Um, Well, and, and so with the conversation between her and Angel, you kind mm -hmm. of, get the the uh juxtaposition of that between like i you know and this actually i just sort of thought about this uh in that conversation she talks about how she fell apart right how she uh when she walked in like you know she says i I didn't even do cpr right away like they had to tell me how to do cpr like i completely screwed up um, you know, if I had been there 10 minutes earlier, blah, blah, blah. And so you kind of get a sense that like now she's maybe like, I still think that part of it is that she's doing it for Don, but I think like maybe the other part of it is that she's overcorrecting for what she sees as her mistakes in those first few moments of finding Joyce and not doing CPR, not knowing you know what to do and sort of this the stun like you know yeah. remember her just sort of walking around the house and mm-hmm. the sort of mechanics of it and not really seeming to be thinking about what's going on or you know unable to think about what's yeah you know going on just sort of reacting to things as they come right. up right and she talks about that that feeling of if i'd only been there 10 minutes sooner yeah. the kind of guilt of that yeah 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 um so yeah i mean i think that could be part of it is just that that now she's it's like okay now i'm in control so i'm going to control as much as i can right right and swing the pendulum that other the way, other way. <laughs> yeah know. to the opposite extreme yeah 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 um Yeah, and so I want to kind of mention the fact that Angel shows up. We get a little crossover here, um, unexpected crossover. Um, Yeah. Because we didn't, you know, there weren't any hints, I don't think, in the previous episode. It wasn't like Buffy called and said what happened or anything. So it's sort of a surprise when Angel turns up. Um, And, I mean, I think most of what they talk about is the stuff we just covered of Angel reassuring Buffy that it's not her fault. She doesn't have to lay this 
you know, blame on herself and everything. And, uh, but the other thing which I thought was interesting was it's kind of the, the kind of subtext of it coming right off of the previous Angel episode, you know, where, you know, totally no mention of all the stuff that's been going on with Angel of like, you know, yeah. and I'm not saying there should have been, but that's an interesting, it's very interesting. I think this scene reads very differently if you maybe were just a Buffy watcher and Angel mm. shows up and it's, oh, this nice, sweet, supportive kind of scene. Sure. But if you're an angel watcher, you know, in the back of my mind is, you know, oh, by the way, Buffy, you know, just a couple days ago, I was, you know, very nearly, you know, kind of on a nervous breakdown. You know, I I slept with Darla, which is the first time, you know, that's happened since they went, they were together and he turned evil. Um, right. Oh, and by the way, I didn't lose my soul. Um, so that's a, that's a revelation. Um, and so especially here where you get like kind of the hints of some tension of like, you know, they easily could go some, well, yeah, more than hints. So it's pretty thick. (laughs) So, you know, that just interested me. The fact that like, okay, if you are watching the shows together, you have all that sort of in the back of your mind, but they never mm. bring it to the surface. You know, that's all that's, it's just ticking away in like the back of your mind. Um, and he doesn't, you know, mention any of it. Um, which I mean, I think appropriately enough, this isn't about him, you know, he's being there, you know, in a, in a supportive way. And, and the focus stays on Buffy and, you know, all that. Um, yeah. I thought that was very interesting that we've had some really major revelations about Angel recently. Um, and he's gone through some major changes in the very recent past. And, you know, but they all kind of stay, you know, under the surface. Yeah. And again, I mean, you know, obviously there are times where like you get the back to back airing of these episodes so like you know the body aired you know right before the last angel episode we saw so there's Mm -hmm. now the last angel episode we saw was coming off like that cliffhanger so like the timing maybe doesn't quite align up but like you could sort of say like sure yeah like Right, this As has to Buffy's, be like, somewhat in the recent the, past, though. The, 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 you know, shock of seeing her mother dead. And and actually, yeah. that was also, um, you know, a, a cliffhanger, too, right? Because Buffy walks right. in, the mom, yep. mommy, mom, or yep. mom, mom, mommy. And, and, you know, so, like, there's sort of an alignment there going mm-hmm. on of, of, like, yeah, you get, you get Angel doing... Right sort of being at his low point and, and, you know, acknowledging that with his conversation with the host of, you know, Oh, you've, you've hit bottom and now you're bouncing back up. Like, uh, but yeah, this is not time to reveal of that. Like what happens in LA stays in LA. Right. Um, Right. Exactly. And so, yeah. And I think, I mean, you're right. Like, I think, 
that's appropriate enough. But like it is, it definitely has a different feel. And again, because this is the first time I'm watching it this way, so mm-hmm. you don't get the same sense of when you're just watch. Like even though I might theoretically know what happens, you know, uh, in Angel, you don't get the same sense of that alignment of yeah. sort of the changes that he's been going through, and then. Mm-hmm him sort of rushing out here and you do have to kind of wonder is this like okay he's only sort of newly back with the angel investigations team like is this a convenient moment for him to sort of back off a little bit and escape you know Hmm. not not be around like like okay they sort of took him back but maybe i'll give them a little bit of space and not like Mm -hmm. force myself on them too much (laughs) i mean obviously a very grisly sort of thought that obviously you wouldn't want Joyce to die in order for that reason. But, right, right. you know, it maybe from that perspective is a little bit of, uh, I almost said lucky timing, but that just sounds crass to say right. it that way. It's like, funny. I don't, it's I don't, funny, I, I, I don't had, mean it like that. But. I had this slightly opposite thought, which is, he just got back in their good graces and promised that he would serve them. And now it's like, peace out. I'm going back to Sunnydale. And and obviously for a very good reason. But when he's sort of like, I'll stay here as long as you want. I'm like, really? Like, you know, you, you know, you have these friends who you've been kind of abandoning and they, you just said you would help them. Um, But you know, yeah, maybe, maybe it's better for everyone if he sort of eases his way back into the crowd so uh, yeah yeah and i don't i mean i'm not necessarily saying one way or the other is is the right way to read it it's yeah uh but it is funny that we kind of thought about it from those different angles yeah all right so to switch over to dawn um you know we have her whole you know she's like you know this new business mom buffy is you know for the birds this is no substitute for the real thing everything's gone to crap so we're gonna you know yeah bring the real mom back even more insufferable than the regular buffy (laughs) yeah right (laughs) and there's like nobody to turn to appeal to right to you know act as any sort of buffer so well and that actually that's an interesting point because i feel like one of the one of the senses you get from dawn is that despite Buffy's sort of attempts to, you know, be the strong one and provide, you know, a foundation or an anchor or whatever you want to call it, Mm -hmm. um, you kind of get the sense that Dawn feels a bit rudderless, like that Mm -hmm. she's just sort of like floating out there. And like like her... um, comment at the dinner table when she like asks uh if she can go with uh willow and tara at you know after the funeral the next day and she says like sort of quietly you know no one hears her she says i don't want to be here but like Mm. she doesn't have control over that like she doesn't want to be there she's right you know she would rather be with someone who might actually listen to her and help her out in some way or whatever but she right. can't do anything. And so Right, but she still has to ask permission, you know. Right. And right. Buffy sort of says, uh, I guess so. Like it's not an actual 
In the one moment where Donna is actually asking for direction, Buffy's not quite sure what the right answer is. You know, like, you know, the one thing she actually should be giving a yes or no answer to. And she's sort of like, you know, well, I guess this is all right. But, you know, normally mom would answer this right. sort of thing. Um, so she has to sort of make a guess. Um, and yeah, and I like, I mean, it kind of does make sense that Dawn would want to escape the house for a little bit. But I also kind of like the sense that once you kind of figure out what she's thinking, you you sort of realize why she's going to the places she's going. It's sort of like, oh yeah, well, yeah. you know, I'll go stay at Willow's and Tara's. You know, they know a lot of magical stuff, you know, right. like, and you kind of get that, you know, and then it's off to Giles, like, these are the people who have the information that she needs to, you know, yeah. try to figure out what, you know, what's possible, what can I do, and how do I get this done? Yeah, yeah, and you definitely, I mean, certainly by the time she gets to the magic shop, you know that she's sort of formed a plan. I don't right. I don't know how much of a plan she has by going to Willow and Tara's, like... Not so much a know. plan, not so much a plan, but I kind of... On the second watch, I sort of got the impression that she at least came with questions, you know, like, I'm, I'm curious, and these are people who, you know, right, you know, I could, she already knows Buffy's not going to go for it, you know, and so not only do Tara and Willow have, you know, the resources, but maybe she thinks, you know, these are people who I could actually ask these questions and maybe get an answer that I want to hear rather than, you know, um, yeah. I don't think it's really until, you know, I mean, I think a couple things kind of help with the plan. Obviously once she finds the book that sort of, you know, is the obvious turning point, but, but even the fact that, you know, I want to talk about Willow and Tara's different reactions to her questions because the fact that Willow is, you know, encouraging enough in the sense that Willow's react. I mean, Tara's all about the morality of it, of, you know, it's, Mm -hmm. it's about what's right and wrong and, and we have responsibilities and there's certain things that you don't do. Um, and, Willow, that's not her reaction. Willow's very much about, oh, she's asking a magical question and I'm going to tell you what's possible, you know? Um, you know, so if it, it can't be done, it's, it's, you know, maybe it's possible, but, you know, the information's hard to find and things backfire and it's dangerous. Yeah. And it's more about the practicality of it. Um, well, and you also see, like, like Willow's... Um, coming at it from sort of a more empathetic maybe perspective of, of, you know, Dawn's hurting. And so I just want to be nice to her and help answer her questions and, you know, let her do the things she wants to do. Right. Um, Almost coddling her a bit, you know? Sure. Sure. Whereas um, I'm kind of surprised by, and, no, I, I'm not surprised because, like, I've seen this episode many times. But, like, right, right, right. you know, like, you know, just 
I think from Tara's perspective, like, I think we're meant to be a little like shocked at how sort of firm a stance that she takes. Like mm. you don't see Tara be right. that assertive, assertive. Yeah, yeah. you know, that, that often. And so like, but one, I think that you know, means you, you take it more seriously yeah, when it happens, yeah, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and, and in some ways, in some way, that's interesting that you called Don or Willow more empathetic because I think you're right. Like you get that sense of she's feeling Don suffering and wants to help her. And like you said, she just wants to give her answers to her questions. She doesn't necessarily want to get her in trouble or anything, but in a way I kind of read Willow's responses, the more intellectual of like, oh, you're curious about things and I have maybe answers to your questions. Um, whereas for Tara, I kind of wonder if it's because she's been through this herself that she, like, she, I don't know this for sure, but it makes me wonder if she's thought about this, you know, like, mm. and she has a firm moral stance because she's actually been where Dawn is and has, you know, has an actually reasoned, moral stance on it um and I was kind of like surprised and impressed that I was waiting for it to go down the route of Tara saying well I I know you know what you're feeling and I know what you're going through and you know this is why you should listen to me and it sort of impressed me that she didn't she never holds that card over Dawn right. like just like with Buffy like there's no pretense that just because I lost my mother that I understand completely what you're feeling because it's always different in every situation. So I, I kind of like that she never says, well, you have to listen to me because I lost my mother and therefore I know what you're thinking. And, you know, um, I felt like she showed a fair amount of restraint that way. And maybe she, she, she could be more empathetic and explain herself a little bit more about you know what why she's saying what she's saying but um i don't know to me tara was approaching it more from the you know i understand what you mean but we still can't do it angle whereas willow seemed to be coming at it from like a slightly more i don't know maybe naive perspective of she never thinks that Dawn's going to do the stuff that she does. She just wants to help answer the questions in any way that she can. Um, anyway, you were starting to say something, so go ahead. Well, I, I think so. Um, you know, as far as Tara not being like, oh, you know, I've been through this before. Like you kind of, Willow doesn't quite say that because like she hasn't been through it, but she does, she does give the, like, you know, uh, she gives sort of the pat answers of like, you know, I wish I could help. The only thing I can say is it'll get better. I promise. And, and you get Don saying, you don't know that. So yeah, it's not the same exact thing as like what Tara might say, but like you get the sense that like maybe Tara knows that even by saying, I know what you're going through or whatever, or mm -hmm. like this happened to me too. Like, it would just turn Dawn off even more. Right. You know, because right. then she would just say, no, you don't. You don't know what I'm going through. And that's true. And right. I mean, even Tara said that, you know, 
uh, sort of to Buffy, like it, you know, the, the, how it's like, it's always a surprise. It's always, Mm -hmm. you know, individual, like nobody actually knows what you're going through because it's, it's completely different for everyone, even though it's kind of the same for everyone at the same time. Um, so, so yeah, I think, you know, whether it's, whether it's conscious or subconscious or whatever, like Tara probably sort of knows that uh, Dawn would give her that reply of, you don't know what I'm mm-hmm. going through kind of thing. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think, I think in a sense you're right with regard to Willow that her answers are sort of the more intellectual ones. But I think, you and you know, like, also depends on how strictly we want to hold to our soul triptych, right? <laughs> idea of her being the head, sure, uh, sure. and the you know the brain or whatever. And so, but I do I do feel like even like with those sort of intellectual answers, like it's it's an attempt to soothe Don's hurting, and that's why yeah, I say absolutely. like it comes yeah, more yeah. from a empathetic stamp, like an empathetic impulse, even though like the actual information might be more whatever and and no yeah absolutely that's that's what i was getting at is not that her impulse isn't you know empathy or feeling uh directed but that her approach to it is you know is from a more here i can help you by giving you information um but you're absolutely right that she wants to do that for these kind of emotional reasons, I think. Um, and, um, and causes, and is a little bit of a troublemaker. Like you get the thing of like, you know, kind of sneaking it under Tara, Tara's nose and then never really, uh, you know, not confessing up at the end and saying, Oh, I kind of, pulled the book out like she kind of you know gets away with it um yeah there so and and i I have to say as much as i normally love allison hannigan i found her scene with tara where she's pretending not to know what happened a little unconvincing um i think she overplays the comedy of it a little bit um you know yeah I, i would agree with that i that part has always bothered me because I I don't think I can ever quite suss out Willow's impetus there. Like even even the even going from what we were just talking about, like that you know she's feeling Don's pain, or or at least recognizes that Don has pain and is wanting to appease that, like giving her sort of like a dangerous book of magic seems to me like even beyond sort of Willow's empathy there. Mm -hmm. Like I, I, I don't know. And maybe, maybe part of it is that unconvincingness of, of that scene because she kind of, you know, says, Oh, well, it's just a history book, right? It doesn't have any actual like magic in it or whatever. And, and Tara's like, well, it names specific spells and this and that. And so, like if you take it at just sort of face value, like I guess you could say, oh well, maybe she truly thought that it would just help answer Don's questions without leading, you know, her to any 
specific, you know, harm or whatever. Yeah. But I don't know. Yeah. Like that, that not, the not fessing up, the not what, like there's, there's something in there that never quite sat right with me. Like I don't, and, and maybe it is like you're saying, like maybe it's just that the acting in that moment isn't maybe her best, but I just never quite got it. It's like they want her to be both naive and like duplicitous in the same moment, you know, like, and I'm not quite sure you can pull off both those things at the same time, or at least she doesn't like, all right, are we supposed to believe that this was innocent and she just wanted to help and, you know, and is now realizing, well, that was, you know, dumb in retrospect or the other implication by the fact that she doesn't come clean to Tara is that she knew this was a kind of risky idea and did it anyway. So, you know, right. At which point, like, I just don't see Willow as being the kind of person who would knowingly put Don in the harm's way. Right. Like right. if she knows that there's a potential risk there. So, right, right. yeah, that's why, like, I, I never could sort of reconcile. Yeah. And maybe that's why the scene doesn't really work is, Alison Hannigan, maybe not sure what, how she's supposed to play it. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know. That's a kind of critfic speculation, but, um, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't quite work. I don't think. Um, but anyway, um, but accepting it for what it is, accepting it uh, for what it is, Dawn does get the book and then goes to the magic shop where Giles is, quite gullible and (laughs) allows her to pump him for information about like all the restricted merchandise and everything. Well, Um, and, and, but then you do get that sense with him of, he's just so happy to see her interested in something and, and wanting to, he's sort of happy to be, you know, misled because he's so wants to see her like busy and learning things and not just like, you know, being sad and grief stricken and everything. So, um, and you know, so I buy that a little bit more, I guess, in the sense that I see, I can see where that's coming from of, he's just so happy to be help, you know, and to teach her how to ring the cash register and do all the things and everything. Yeah. I mean, and, and I mean, Giles plays the learned fool. Well, or yes. Anthony Head, I should say. Sure, it's the not the first fool. time we've seen him be a little gullible and uh, sort of, yeah. Yeah, and I think, like, I, I'm almost more surprised. I guess Anya gets called away to, like, help a customer. So, like, you can sort of excuse her not noticing, but I would be, like, like she would be the one that I would place a bet on to catch right. Don. Right. At her antics or whatever. You know, right, or, right. Or and stealing you, a book. And it's almost whatever. like if she wasn't so distracted by her job being potentially threatened, she might have. Because she's noticing, like, all right, what's what's different? Right. Why are you wanting to do stuff? And, like, I thought you were a teenager. You're supposed to be lazy. And this doesn't make <laughs> any sense and everything. Um, so you kind of almost get her going down that path. But she's too distracted by, like, the money being jeopardized and right. like, uh, you know, um, you know, yeah. her own, her own usefulness being, you know, put into question and everything. Yeah. Um, um, <laughs> by the, 
you know, illegal child labor and everything. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, so Don does get a book and some sort of ingredients. We don't really know what. Um, mm-hmm. And then later makes it out to the graveyard. Yeah. Uh, pre- presumably that's where her mom was buried. Like, we don't right. necessarily know. Like, I don't think we see a headstone or anything like that. No, but she's at the grave with, like, freshly... Yeah, you know, strewn earth. So I imagine I would think that's her mother's. I mean, grave, I I, I think, think that's the implication, yeah. obviously. Um, yeah. Because like, why else would you take dirt right. from anywhere else? Right. Um. And spikes there, you know. And, so I mean, maybe he's just wandering through the graveyard. But you also get the scene earlier of him like with bringing flowers yes. to the house. So you get the sense of Spike kind of lurking around, and not just lurking in his normal like stalking Buffy way but like actually lurking around the idea of Joyce's death too like you know maybe visiting the gravesite on his own or you know I don't know if that's the case but it seems like it could be well and I Um, you know I I think uh I think you can make a reasonable argument that he's sort of hanging and who knows maybe he caught a glimpse of Buffy and Angel there and was sort of watching them you know sure from afar. Sure. Uh, sure but yeah i mean so we didn't actually i don't think include spike in any of our stuff but i did i definitely want to bring that up because yeah like even from the beginning like when him and joyce first meet and you yeah. get that awkward couch scene um yeah. and and uh yeah like they've always had sort of uh special relationship yeah special yeah. relationship that, yeah. that sounds like even like a little like weirder than it is yeah yeah, yeah. but no but they have always had sort of like in a, a perfectly in a perfectly uh appropriate and, and charming and platonic. way yeah, yeah. like yeah. wait like and and you get like you know when she lets him in and like you know he's he's uh like sitting on the counter and Buffy's sort of horrified, you know, by the, or like, um, making him hot chocolate with marshmallows. Yeah. You think of the scene where like, uh, Joyce is talking to Buffy and like Spike is behind her going like, right. Like pretending, you know, like pretending he's going to bite her. Right. Um, and their shared love of passions. Yeah. (laughs) Right. They're, they're watching. No, I like that they pay a little respect to, that relationship because it is one of the like few just purely uncomplicated friendly relationships that there's no you know angst or animosity or probably they just they just <laughs> or get sexual along. tension or sexual or, tension nothing you know. <laughs> they just yeah. they just get along yeah. um and certainly that's spike's only relationship that way that's just right. purely you know purely like friendship affection based you know um and so i kind of i'm glad that they sort of acknowledge that and that he you know he wants to honor that in a way that's not as far as we know not you know self-interested at least not at first and and you know it, it didn't actually occur to me until just now but also when buffy sort of reveals spike's uh, amorous intentions towards her. Mm-hmm. Joyce is the only one who sort of, it, she doesn't exactly defend Spike, 
But she does suggest that maybe it was Buffy's fault for leading him on a little bit. Like, <laughs> she would. Like, yeah. like there is that like Yeah. And and you know, I know I know you could read that in a in a very like victim blamey sort of way. But I don't sure. think like Joyce intends it like that. Like I think you you get the sense of like the spike I know, you <laughs> right. know, wouldn't right. wouldn't be that way. But like, what about that nice voice spike? Why don't you bring him <laughs> around more? You know, whereas so, like she probably has the impression of Angel as like the dangerous bad boy, and Spike is the like, yeah. He, he, so that, you know what? You know what it reminds me of is is it Leave It to Beaver with Eddie Haskell, like who <laughs> he is the monster and the bully and. Sure. You know, beats up all the other kids and the parents all love him. You know, like he's the most charming, like, you know, up upright little citizen in front of all the parents. But the sure. kids know the truth, which is that he's the real troublemaker and everything. Yeah. I feel like that's kind of what... And in some ways, that's what it's like. Although I don't think Spike is being disingenuous with Joyce. Like that actually was a positive, nice relationship. Sure. It just happens sure. to be his only one. <laughs> like, sure. Um, I don't think he's pretending with her is what I'm saying. But Yeah, no. And I think, um, I, and that might but be. But she maybe does have a, a rosy-eyed view of what he actually, you know. Right. Because that's all she's ever seen of him and everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, I, I mean, I do think, and and so when Spike comes on Don and yeah. sees what she's doing and offers to help, you sort of know right away, like, of course, of course he's going to help try to get her back. Like, right, right. as he already said, you know, Joyce was the only one of the lot of, right. of the lot of you that I could stand because she was nice. She was decent. She didn't put she didn't put on airs. And mm. that's what he sees, you know, Buffy and the rest mm of them doing yeah. um, right. whether they actually are doing that. That's at least his perception yeah. of what they're doing. Um, right. And right. of course, Spike knows a guy. <laughs> of course he does. Uh, you know, yeah. who, who can help out with that. Right. Who he knows, you know, just by reputation. Like I've never met him, but my friends have all said like, you know, I've heard that he is good with this yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. Um, which is always a, you know, a good solid recommendation. Um, well, and you know, I mean, you know, for as much as much of a loner as Spike is, like he's always been sort of like tapped in. You know, like he's right. he he seems to know what's going on and yeah. and kind of you know can schmooze with the best of them. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so this character is interesting. I want to mention the fact that it's played by Joel Grey, who, if anybody doesn't know him, go get Cabaret, uh, the um, Bob Fosse movie with Liza Minnelli. Um, he's very, very weird and good in that movie. Um, but, so I kind of, it, it's interesting that we only get sort of little, basically he does what he says he's going to do. Like, you know, he doesn't like, cheat them or anything like he he's it seems like he's you know does what spike thinks he gives them the information and the ingredients that they need and kind of sends them on their way and tells them to keep in touch let him know how it goes and everything 
but then you also you get the hints of there's more going on but it never really turns into anything like um you know the little you see like he has like a tail that like flicks out from under his coat and you know there's the bit where his eyes turn black and everything um so you kind of get this he's definitely not human or at least not wholly human not wholly (laughs) so you get the hint of something else but um you know like i said it doesn't really you know develop into anything that we see so it's sort of just left there um you know and we don't actually see you know the results of the spell so i guess we don't quite know exactly what kind of spell he gave don but again it seems to do you know what he said it would and even if it went wrong well he said that was a risk too like you know he's pretty honest about the fact that um you know, it'll take a while and she might not come back quite the same. And, you know, the little ominous, like, well, she'll still be my mother, more or less. Like, he's not gonna, he doesn't make any promises about, you know, how this is gonna go. Sometimes Um, these things get a little off. Yeah, yeah. Um, Right, so so this is his disclaimer of, I'm not responsible for any, like, you know, uh, problems in the you know using of the spell or anything yeah so i mean and a couple things so one you get the sense that he's maybe a little addle brained (laughs) um in a sense like he he thinks spike is the guy who plays dominoes down the street except like guy is playing dominoes like apparently like in the sunlight and right in the daytime um well, it's like any, he's not a vampire and he has different hair. So it's like, it doesn't even like look like Spike, <laughs> right, but right. he still thinks it might be him. Um, yeah. A little, a little senile maybe, or, or kind of like a loner, you know, you're not yeah. quite, and he probably doesn't get out too much. But. You do get sort of his initial reluctance, like the, oh, oh no, you don't want to mess with that. Like, I know some tonics, it'll make the grieving fly by. <laughs> like, you know, I'll give you something to ease the pain a little bit, but you don't want to. deal with like this heavy stuff um but then he also sort of turns around rather quickly when don's Mm -hmm. like no i really don't know he's like okay and he's like humming to himself like as he's you know going off and getting you know whatever he needs to get and and like you get even though he has that initial reluctance it's not it's like he made his case and okay you you want to do it like go ahead i'm not i'm not here to stop this isn't you know him facing Tara of, you know, it's not right. We shouldn't do this. Like, right. it doesn't matter how easy or hard it is. That's not the point. The point is right. it's wrong to mess with these sort of forces. Right. He's he's okay with messing with the forces. He just kind of wants to make sure he puts that up front. But just don't like, blame me you know. if, if you're not happy yeah, with the result. Of, yeah. It's like, okay, sign this waiver and then, yeah. you know, I'll yeah. help you out. Yeah. Um, yeah, he he just wants to cover all his bases first. Yeah. Um And and so so it's hard to I mean again like he seems maybe a little addle-brained or whatever, but you know he clearly knows what he's doing and it's hard to know sort of his motivations there. Like he doesn't accept her money, so like he doesn't seem to be right. You know, on the greedy side like Spike tends to be. Um mm-hmm. So yeah. I don't I don't know what more to say than that about him, you know. Right. Uh other than just like it's it's hard to sort of suss out what his motivations may be. Right. In that right. moment. 
Right. Um, he also, he hums Peter and the wolf, which is kind of interesting too. Yeah. Um, you know, giving him that kind of, you know, that, that ambiguous fairy tale donor quality of like, you know, who are you getting this information from? And, you know, we, we don't really know, you know, anything. There's something kind of like, not quite as like charismatic as the host, but that kind of ambiguity of like, you're not quite sure, like you said, what his motivations are and what is he, if he's not accepting her money, what is he getting out of this? Is he, because if you were totally altruistic, you would think he would say, no, you don't want to do this. But like you said, he kind of goes along with it. So, um, interesting character. Um, so, all right. So Don gets the stuff. They get the stuff. I don't know that there's too much to say about like the egg and like they have to go and fight. Oh the yeah, and no. you know, no, you know. just other than you know, again, sort of Spike is willing to go do it and end yeah, up getting at, at hurt. personal at personal risk. Yeah, yeah, um, um, yeah, and even kind of tells Don. Not to worry. Like when she apologizes, he says, well, if you got the egg, then don't apologize. Like, yeah. you know, he doesn't even give her a hard time about putting him in more danger. He just helps. Yeah. Um, okay. But then, yeah. So Don uh, does the spell. Buffy gets the call from, you know, Willow and Tara that it's going to happen, but, you know, it's too late. So, um interesting kind of holdover from you know the body that then we get shots of the body up and you know for after the episode where we kind of said the body is the sort of the monster of the episode you now get this like resurrected you know mm. you know feet walking slowly like throughout their whole confrontation you know yeah. you have this sense of she's coming and you really yeah. don't want to know what's coming you know there's right. this like increasing dread of like I don't want to see what's going to come through the door. Um, you know, even more effective that we don't see it, you know, because your imagination can just sort of run wild with what she would have been like if she came back. Um, not necessarily the way she looked, but maybe the way she acted or, um, you know, if it was even really Joyce anymore, who knows? Right. Is this maybe more of like a vampire situation where something has taken residence? Right. Yeah. We, we don't, we don't know. Um, and I mean, I feel like we kind of talked about a lot of the Buffy and Dawn. I mean, they, they kind of, this is good in that it, it, this is the thing which forces them to say all those things that they weren't saying that we were talking like all the stuff that they've been you know, all the stuff that Buffy's been pretending to be so that Dawn wouldn't have to deal with it, they get to actually say to each other and air it out and, you know, actually tell each other what they're going through and everything. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I, I actually think for all that, you know, the body is obviously like the classic episode and everything, I kind of think this is Sarah Michelle Gellar's best performance like you know her kind of breakdown you know in like that frustration that she conveys of feeling you know it's that mix of 
she's grieving, but she's angry, but she's also frustrated and she's tired and she doesn't know what to do. And like, I feel like she does a really good job of just conveying that kind of when you have a breakdown like that, that overwhelming, you know, mix of just feeling like it's coming at you from all sides. Mm. Um, I thought she did a really uh, fine job with that. Um, yeah. And also I feel like after, uh, I feel like the whole season, you know, with starting with the stuff with Dawn, through all the stuff with Joyce's illness, through Riley leaving, and then Joyce dying, we've had a lot of episodes that have been about Buffy not having a breakdown. Like, especially with Riley, like mm. there were a lot of episodes where the whole point is that it would be nice if Buffy would just let it out. And I feel like this is the first time that that's happened, like the whole season where it's just a total, you know, because like the Buffy, it, it, the body is so numb, you know, that's not a real, this is much more cathartic, I think, um, mm. you know, and Buffy's the one to just totally lose it. And Dawn is actually like the comforter in the end. Like yeah. it's Dawn saying, yeah. you don't have to do this. It's okay. She's the one who in that, like, she's the, it's kind of the grown up in the moment who, which is what she needed. All she needed was for Buffy to acknowledge that she actually doesn't know what she's doing. And then it's okay because they can figure it out together. Mm. Um, so, you know, and I think you really get that with, the echo of when joy when there's the knock on the door and Buffy says mommy like just in the moment where she's saying I really want my mother back there's the body at the door you know and it's like mommy's back but probably not how you want her um you know and so it's like just when Buffy is at her most vulnerable and she can't resist you know so it's like Dawn who has to you know make the decision and break the spell and everything. So, yeah, um, yeah that, that, I think that's a really, you know, for like an episode that's maybe not the best episode ever. I feel like that climax is really good with them. I really like the way that whole last yeah. scene plays out. No, I, I think, I think it works well too. I, you know, that it's the moment where Buffy says mommy again, and you get that call back to, yeah. you know, the yeah. body and even the you know the end of the right, episode the end before of the that before yeah um you you know and you hear that and you know she's going to be the one to run to the door yeah um yeah also i don't um sorry i didn't hear you mention this so i i don't know if you did but this um very that sort of ending to very reminiscent of the monkey's paw um have you read that short story no uh oh okay uh so it's a short story by W.W. Jacobs, um, like written in the early 1900s. I'm not sure exactly when, where mm -hmm. basically um, uh, there's this magical talisman, this this monkey's paw that supposedly grants three wishes to the owner. Um, but like each wish sort of comes with a price. Um, mm -hmm. And so... Uh, you know, I, I forget the exact wishes or what they are, um, but I think something like, you know, they wish for money or something, but then, like, the money comes in the form of, like, their son who dies, like, in a war, and it 
it becomes like it's like a payment for him dying or whatever um so then like the second get or the second wish they use is to resurrect the son mm-hmm. and they're you know sort of arguing about it and talking about it or whatever but um the the wife um you know want wants to use the wish to resurrect the son so they do and there's like this um knocking on the door and and so the husband who knows how the son died knows that like you know he can't actually let him his wife see mm. their son so he like he uses the third wish to wish him away and, mm. uh like as as she opens the door it's right. empty as it is right. here so right. they're very very similar sort of mm-hmm. ending there with that um I'm surprised you haven't read that story. It's like a pretty no. famous one. But anyway, so um, neither here nor there. But let, just that idea of, you know, um, you know, as with Dawn here, that, you know, the things that you wish for, the things that you want, don't always, and, and a very Whedon-esque idea, right, of like mm-hmm. things don't always sort of work out the way that you're thinking they will in your head. Like it might technically be her mother but you don't know what's there and Mm -hmm. i i so you know going back to sort of buffy being the one to actually you know say like when she hears then it's like that thing of you don't know what you're going to do until you're in the moment right Mm -hmm. and you know when buffy hears the knock it like everything goes away like you realize you know even even if you hadn't realized with Buffy sort of crying and breaking down and saying whatever like you realize right then that she wants it just as much as Dawn does like if not more like and it's it's sort of seeing Buffy act irrationally in that moment that snaps Dawn back into you know being the rational one and saying wait a minute no this this isn't the right way yeah um you know which is what buffy was saying a moment before of you know you can't do this you can't not to mom like this isn't you know anyone but her like you know we can't treat mom this way but then as soon as like the opportunity presents itself that all goes out the window for buffy Mm -hmm. yeah um but yeah yeah which i mean i think I think Dawn gets a bit of a sense of what it's like to have been Buffy recently because it's Buffy's sense of needing to take care of Dawn that's leading her to be the responsible one. And that's flipped in that moment of it's, I think, seeing Buffy actually throw kind of caution to the wind and go and, you know, you know, take the opportunity to embrace her mother that, you know, forces Dawn into the reality of that and, you know, gives her the impulse to be the responsible one, you know? Like, rather than act like the child, she has to make the grown-up choice there and make the the hard decision for both of them, you know? And so there's a sense of having somebody else to look after is what forces you to sort of grow up a little bit. Um, You know, which I think has been true for Buffy recently, but, you know, maybe is now true for Dawn too of, 
you know, she actually needs to also take care of Buffy. It's not, it's not a one-way thing. And that goes, you know, so maybe Buffy needs to sort of, you know, it just as Buffy needs to maybe not try to manage everything for Dawn, I think Dawn is sort of seeing how she can maybe contribute um, and like give some of that back to Buffy as well. Mm. So. Yep. All right. All right. Um, we should probably spend a few minutes on the, the other characters, the Scoobies. Mm -hmm. um, although we've, ran over which i was surprised about oh and we need to talk about men and glory for a few moments as well yeah um i don't know that i have anything else to say about willow and tara did you have no not really additional stuff i there? mean there's the kind of journaling scene that's sort of sweet but you know oh, um yeah it's not super important i don't i don't, think. I don't know um, that we necessarily need to believe that willow keeps a journal of all her food forever and ever it's um, like that's the kind of thing that lasts one day, and then you like realize, oh yeah, oh yeah, this <laughs> is tedious sort of, and boring, and these nobody sort cares. of journaling projects, you know, yeah, they're very, you know, it's a nice idea, but um, yeah, I you know, I, but you do get the sense of Willow embracing, trying to embrace life, like visiting her mom more often, and yeah. you know, appreciating the things that she her, has, you know, down knew. to. Her bagels and everything. So who, who, if you remember, her mom is sort of aloof uh, and yeah, yeah, aloof and and also insufferable. <laughs> right, right. But she's uh, still nicer than Xander's parents. So Xander is enough. appreciating life by visiting his friends' parents rather than his own. Right. Like because they're not very. He's like those people are Scary. not very nice. Yeah. yeah. Um, um. So. I, um, but we do get the scene with Xander and Anya where you, they're kind of trying to embrace life too in, in the sense of, you know, it's giving Anya this new appreciation and zest for life and everything. And you kind of get her talking about, you know, you know, the way that they could make life and all these sorts of feelings that she's having, which sort of freaks Xander out a little bit at first, although he sort of understands a momentary freak out. He sort of understands by the end what she's, you know, getting at. Um, he definitely doesn't seem ready to make life from what he's saying. Um, yeah. But. Um, um, and, you know, actually the, the Anya's um, sort of, soliloquy there about life mm -hmm. and making life and all that reminds me in a weird way um uh of the of the episode of firefly the message where you get jane talking about um sort of very similar kind of like when he says when every uh i don't know if you remember that so it's the one where um mal and zoe's uh mm -hmm. former um yeah, yeah, yeah. uh uh platoon mate or whatever right, right, right. Uh, mails his own body to them right yeah and, yeah and so like they have this this casket sort of laying in the middle of the deck there and and jane talks about um how he likes to go out and and do stuff when he sees a corpse like that it right it sort of gives him a new, renewed vigor for right, life right. um in that same sort of way so it sort of reminds me of that um yeah 
but anyway, I also wanted to mention with Giles, um, we get him listening to a record, and of course, it's the same record that he and Joyce had listened to uh, back in Band Candy. Um, okay, I didn't way, catch that. That's way, funny. way back when. So yeah, like I mean, and like that scene is like what, like ten seconds long. Like it's not. Yeah, very long. it's an like, interesting. It's just him sitting quietly, like drinking his music. music. Yeah, yeah, and but I think you know that's him, right? Like he's. Is he appreciating life in his own, the finer things, you know? Well, that it, kind of... And, and I think it's his own little toast to Joyce, right? Like sure. it's, it's Right, right, like yeah. Not, I mean, and as we learn later, like, they didn't just run around together. They, they <laughs> did right. some other stuff, too. So, right. you know, I mean, there is, there is that sort of connection as well of, you know, like, this is... Uh, as brief as it may have been, it, like, it wasn't just... Buffy's mom it, you know this right. was a former lover and right and right friend and um you know so you get that sense but yeah no that's it's the same song that they listen to in band candy there um, gotcha that that makes the scene make more sense to me <laughs> um, yeah I, right otherwise it's just kind of like it's just like just oh a little, little quiet moment with Giles yeah. <laughs> no well and I think so you know I know we were supposed to like move quickly through the students, sure. but like, I think too, like you get the sense that like, again, with the body and now this episode, you get Giles doing a lot of sort of, you know, the, whatever work he can, that Buffy doesn't have to take care of. So you get almost, maybe it's a different level because Giles is like this more often anyway, but you get the same sort of facade that he's putting up for Buffy that, Buffy's trying to put up for Don. So you, you get sort of a parallel there. Yeah. And now this is him, you know, able to sort of sit back and grieve or whatever you want to call it in his own yeah. way. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, ben and Glory. Ben and Glory. So uh, Ben uh, lets slip to uh one of her minions that jinx is his name jinx thank you um that uh yeah that the key is just an innocent um you know and then realizes very quickly uh that that was the wrong thing to say and tries to kill him but doesn't you know kind (laughs) of gives an uh, a half-hearted stab but then you know he doesn't yeah. really finish the job, so there's a sense that either he doesn't know that that wasn't enough to kill him, or else maybe there's a reluctance to really finish him off, you know, not quite sure. Um, yeah. I, so, kind of ruthless, but also a softy at the same time, <laughs> you know? Right. I, I, get the, I get the sense that, like, this is Ben crossing a line. Like, that he's not right. crossed before right he's not that, a killer he hasn't that, done this before yeah. and i think i think knowing what we know about ben and glory and sort of their right. opposite personalities like ben's right. a nurse like right. his, he's the healer yeah. you know he's yeah he's the healer he's the one who takes care of people like so i feel like like this for him is drastic and like yeah. i mean you could probably explain it a couple different ways like maybe maybe he thinks one stab is enough or or maybe right. 
doing the one stab, he realizes like, oh, this is wrong. I shouldn't be doing right. it. What it, you know, right. even though it's to save someone or you know potentially save someone. So, right. You, you know what, whatever that may be. Like, I, I do get the sense that like, yeah, he's maybe not very practiced and right. and whether he's just incompetent or sort of has the change of heart after the initial stab yeah. Yeah. he he clearly does not do enough right. to right kill right and i do like how jinx is sort of <laughs> flustered for the rest like he's he's kind of dying but he's not really like he still can talk and he's i like him kind of reaching for compliments for glory of like you know, he kind of knows that he needs to be giving her, like, um, you know, all these really, like, fabulous names, but he kind of doesn't have the energy for it. So it's like, um, you know, this continual thing of, like, oh, you're, you know, beautiful one. Like, it's just so, like, uh, what's the bare minimum of, right. the, of the groveling to get me through this so that I can, right. like, just lie here? Um which, which is kind of funny. In his like favor, you, you know. It's not just that they are grovelly demons. It's like she requires this. Like oh there's yeah. a certain etiquette here that he has to perform. So that's kind in, of funny. In his favor, at least he brought her important information about the key. Like you, right, you do right. feel like right. she might be slightly more forgiving. Right. You know, but so he can that. get away with sort of half-baked, you know, compliments and everything. Um, so that was funny. Um but yeah, and, so so now Glory knows the key is in human yeah, form. Yeah, is in human. So that, as she says, that narrows the search considerably. Um, right. Yeah. Right. So yeah. 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 All right. Well, I guess we'll see with our next Buffy episode where that leads us. But we'll have Angel to talk about in between. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Right. Sleep no more. Uh-huh. I am tired. I want to sleep more. <laughs> um, no. I so okay. This episode might put you to sleep. This, but, this no. I did fall asleep watching it. Um, <laughs> but that's that's true of almost every episode. So right. like that's not, that's because you that's started not a at fault like eleven thirty. Um it's because I'm yeah. constitutionally incapable of like laying down and watching TV at the same time. Right. I'm like one of those, you know, like those dolls where like when you laid them down, like their eyelids closed. Right. Like that's that's me. Um, anyway, not that anyone listening needed to know that. Um, yeah, this episode's pretty thin. Uh-huh. Uh, it, this episode is like the atmosphere immediately outside the space station that it takes place on. Um, no. Uh, the... the yeah. I, this, I got this the episode. Feeling. This episode is here. I just had a really nasty thought, which I probably shouldn't air. But this episode is. Oh, we'll cut me, it out. Go ahead. Sorry. All right. Well, I just had a thought of this is the episode that I console myself when I realize Chris Chibnall is going to take over Doctor Who. I say, well, at least it's not Mark Cadis. But <laughs> that was mean. Oh, I'm sorry, Mark. Yeah, Gatiss. I mean. I'm sorry, Mark Gatiss. I just don't think he's very good at this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. Okay. Yeah. So stipulating all of that, uh, I do want to talk a little bit up front about sort of the frame and the, the point of view stuff that we get. Um, yeah. Because I think that's probably the most interesting part. Sure. 
Um, no, like, and I do think I do think this is one of those frustrating things where I feel like most of the good stuff that I have to say is going to be about wasted potential of like, oh, this is kind of interesting, but it doesn't go anywhere. Like one of those conversations, you know? Yeah, um, it's like the backhanded compliments. Right, right, right. Gives yeah. you, you know. Yeah, this could be a good idea if they'd only done whatever, you know. Um, right. Anyway, um, so... No, so they're, I mean, they're clearly going for something. Like that, that's, that's, they had a vision in mind, at least. Yeah, yeah. Uh, right, it gets know, points for, yeah, ambition, maybe, or at least an idea. So, you know what this actually reminded me of? Um, and I say reminded, I haven't seen it because it's not out yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know if i've talked about it on the podcast before or if i mentioned it to you um pendulet of penn and tiller fame Mm -hmm. uh is currently working on a movie he did like a kickstarter last year and i think i think that like filming's done i think it's just like post-production stuff and whatever Mm -hmm. at this point um called director's cut Mm -hmm. where basically the premise of the film is uh basically all right how how to explain it because it's kind of a weird one so it the idea is that it's like a film within a film where where you're getting like um the story of this movie being made from the perspective of basically a stalker (laughs) like a a guy who's stalking like the main actress in the movie Mm -hmm. and um what happens is that he takes like footage from like the movie, like the final movie, but then also footage that like he films himself, like of the actors and stuff in the movie. Mm -hmm. And then like, I guess it like escalates and escalates and escalates to where like, he actually like kidnaps the actress and like takes her to his basement and like forces her to like act out like scene. So like, so like it's all from this scene. And so, the director being like it's all from the point of view of this like stalker guy or whatever and so mm-hmm. he's like the director and he's like adds his own commentary and like this that. so it's like it's this very meta like mm-hmm. you know analysis of like this kind of deranged guy uh you know who wants to create this movie um but the movie that he's creating is like his warped version of the movie that should be created kind of mm-hmm. thing mm-hmm. um and the director is uh, a guy named Adam Rifkin, mm-hmm. who actually uh, did a movie, uh, did a movie which then got turned into like I think a one or two season TV show. I forget what station it's on, called um, Look, mm-hmm. uh, which is entirely um, filmed from the perspective of surveillance cameras. Mm-hmm. Um, and and like that, the cameras he actually used to film the movie weren't surveillance cameras, but he placed them in places where, like in real life, there are surveillance cameras. So it's like all of these like found not found footage, but it's like surveillance footage of mm-hmm. you know, and and that's how he tells his you know the story and, right, and all of right. that in this movie look. So um, I kind of get the feeling like this is going for that type of thing mm-hmm. um you know with the you know and and there i don't know if there's movies where they've done a whole you know wholly like from like a, a 
you know, helmet cam point of mm-hmm. view or whatever. Right. But like this is I you know, this right. is I mean what there's certainly been for the that. found footage thing is not, you know, there's many, many of those, but um Right, right. And and yeah. you certainly get portions of movies that, you know, you get perspective yeah. from uh, you know, like a helmet cam or whatever. Um Yeah. I'm trying to, I'm th- you know, or also, or like, maybe like, um, oh, what was that movie with like Jake Gyllenhaal, uh, where he was a cop, um, came out fairly recently within the last couple of years and you get like the dash cam footage and you get I know like, the one like you it's, mean. I can't yeah, think of I can't the title. Think of yeah. So like you get those kind of things where it's like, you know, you're in a intense situation and you're getting like, yeah, like a dash cam, like sort of a cop's. Yeah. TV show cam kind of following you around and that kind of thing. Um, we're talking a lot about other movies. Other movies. But it's, <laughs> so like, like I yeah. feel like this right episode... Right there is maybe one of your problems. I, yeah. I feel yeah. like this episode aspired to those sure. kind of thing. Oh, um, sure. and uh, District 9 would be another one sort of mm-hmm. maybe along. Although yeah. that's more of yeah. like a documentary style, but they right. have a lot right. of that right. other shaky cam yeah. handheld yeah like like but but with the premise that there's a camera crew following it's not just shaky cam it's like right. this is the footage that's right like the camera the, is yeah is my a favorite. character yeah. my, my yeah. favorite word again is is diegetic it's diegetic, you know right. it's within the context of the story right. itself not just right us looking in you know yeah. on someone else's life yeah yeah um so yeah, uh... yeah, and I feel like what's nice about stuff like that is what you can use that for is to do like very kind of metatextual, you know, you know, themes and ideas of sort of being self-referential or you know, playing with the kind of fourth wall between you know the audience and the you know which i think again this episode maybe aspires to a bit i don't know that it does anything with it that we haven't seen in any of those other movies you know before um but there is that kind of i think it at least tries to go for that that sense of um you know that you you have there's a sense that like you are participatory you know like you know like the audience is implied with like the weeping angels or something it's like well the audience is implied here with the sense of we're seeing this footage and it's been sort of manipulated for our benefit like you know you have this guy who kind of says it's presented as found footage of i'm giving you the objective the objective document documentary truth of what happened in this you know you know the case of this space station and then the kind of twist reveal at the end is that well really i just did it so that to to trick you into watching the footage so now this impulse is in your brain and it'll go out there and spread and everything so there's something kind of like you know there's something fun there of like well now you're infected and you're gonna go you know and I like the line about, well, you'll show this to your family. Like all the kids sitting at home, like, you know, now they can go get their parents to watch the episode. So they'll be infected too. Like there's something kind of like clever about that. But, you know, 
Doctor Who does that with non-found footage episodes. So I'm not sure that that's like breaking any like, you know, involving the audience in the story isn't necessarily new, even for Doctor right. Who. Um, right. Well, and you think of even like um, Blink. Yeah. You know, the ending yeah, yeah. Of, yeah. Of, of, of that. Yeah. A much better. Sure. Yeah. Uh, executed. Yeah. You know, yeah. version of the same idea. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. We, yeah, where the character's talking to you as the audience and telling you, you know, um, you know. Um, so, yeah, um, I'm trying to think of even where to go from there. Yeah, well, so. I feel like okay. I had a thought a second ago and then I lost it. So, yes. So, you okay, so, so you get the, you know, all the vision from sort of the point of view stuff. Um, until you realize, like, there you're getting points of view from like places where there are no cameras and stuff, and I mean, right. the doctor points that out, so it's not like sure, it, it's not like you're just left on your own to sort of no, think and of and that. to give it credit, I think that is fairly well done. Of there is the moment when it switches to Clara's point of view, and if you're paying attention, you must be going, okay, how are we seeing this? Right. You know, from her. So you get that a while before the doctor ever explains it. So the clues sure. are in there that it's more than just, you know, the helmet. It can't just be helmet cameras. And then we find out there are no helmet cameras. So it wasn't even them to begin with, that it's all like in their eyes and everything. Um, and like speaking of like meta moments, I do like there. there's a couple little clever things of... Um, I like the one the doctor says that he sleeps and Clara says when, and he looks straight at her, but into the camera and says, when you're not looking like, <laughs> cause it's like, we have to, you know, I'm sure we've all wondered that like, does the doctor sleep, you know, right. does he need, and so that thing of, of course I sleep, but when you're not looking, you know, right. in between episodes is, you know, when I sleep. Well, um, and, and who knows how a time Lord sleeps? Like maybe he just goes off and sleeps for a century you know exactly. like, yeah, yeah. like or right. you know or a year or whatever right. like you right. know just because like his biology is different so maybe right. Right. maybe he does more of like a hibernation thing you know for a right. while and then right. comes back rejuvenated right um yeah no i i i like that that's that's good to point out um <laughs> i do feel like i'm struggling <laughs> like i sure. you know i feel and we All don't right. need no, to belabor the the point, but go ahead. One, one thing. So okay, the the fact that we're getting like dust vision. <laughs> um, why does it have to be from anyone's point of view? Like, why can't it just be? And I guess we do get shots of like from just sort of vaguely up in from somewhere in the ceiling or something. Like there are times where we kind of get right not a person so like maybe maybe that's yeah doing that or whatever but mm -hmm. i don't know okay I, it's all done like so okay so let's talk about and maybe in that way it's trying to be a little too clever it's it's not enough to okay we're gonna do a found footage episode of doctor who but it's trying a little too hard to put a twist on it of well it's not really found footage it's not really cameras it's really you know the monster all along and oh we got you and that kind of like it's a bit yeah. you know yeah. 
it's it's a it's a little bit contrived in the end. And I have to say, I do think <laughs> no matter whether you love it or hate it, uh, I do think the Sandman takes the cake for maybe the most ridiculous monster ever. Like, if you think about it, like Doctor Who monsters made out of the gook that is in your eye when you sleep is maybe about the most ridiculous thing that we've had. And we've had some pretty ridiculous monsters, but... um... Yeah, well, and... Yeah, like this whole self-replicating dust, like, that replaces you? Like, it... Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. But just the premise of eye boogers. (laughs) Like, that's your monster. Um, Yeah. You know, eye boogers. We haven't seen that before. Um, I know a lot of people really, really hate that. I find it kind of funny, but, um, you know. I I mean, I think... Yeah, I I almost feel like you could have had a little more... Because, like, what... I don't, I don't get where the intelligence for that comes from. Like where, right. you know, how right. does, how does right. your eye booger become intelligent enough to like replicate right. and take over your body? And um, see, and I almost feel like the, 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 you know, something like, um, Oh, what, are, what's the silence in the library? The, you know, the shadow. Yeah. You mm-hmm. know, whatever. Fashion like, Murata, yeah. yeah. Like, like that, at least, like you get the sense that, like they're almost like nanobots or something. Like, like that right. there's a sort of like that there is an intelligence there. Like maybe it's a swarm intelligence, but there's something, uh, you know, living that just looks like a shadow. It's not yeah. actual shadow. Like yeah. this is like no, it's just dust from your eye, and like the electrical current in the Morpheus pod made it come alive like is this like a dr frankenstein thing like i put lightning into it and now like yeah it's living i i don't know yes yeah it's a weird and i feel like that's like where one of the places that you really see the writing just being not not very well thought through and i don't just mean that because like the idea for the monster is really silly but like with the boston errata you do get the sense of it's just it's not that like oh the shadows are coming alive for no reason it's that what you've thought was a shadow or the dust in the sunbeams you've misunderstood all along that it's always been alive it's just that you didn't understand it until now and it is another it's a creature of some sort or an intelligence or whatever even though it's so small that you can't see it whereas with here I feel like I feel like that sounds like it should work to say, okay, why is it intelligent? Well, it's evolving. Like that's the kind of thing you say in a Doctor Who script. But normally there is some sort of explanation for why that is. Like, you know, I feel like here that's expected to just explain everything. Why is, why are the Sandmen sentient? Well, haven't you been listening? They're evolving. Like why? (laughs) Like, yeah, you know, a, you know, random skin cells certainly becoming sentient and, you know, plotting to take over the universe. Like, that's, even by Doctor Who standards, that's pretty, you know, uh, without explanation. Yeah. Um, but I feel like the script maybe, and this is crit-ficking Mark Gatiss, I, you know, acknowledge that. 
But I feel like he actually... But it's not going to stop you. But it's not going to stop me. I feel like he wants... He thinks that that's enough of an explanation. Yeah. Like, and rather than rather than just embrace the silliness of that, it's like, I think he actually thinks that that's supposed to make any sort of sense at all. Um, you know. The dust so, evolved. Yeah, like, there's even a line where I think one of the soldiers asks, like, why can it suddenly, you know, why is it suddenly sentient? And the doctor kind of says, well, didn't you see what happened? It's evolving. And it's like, what? <laughs> like, that's no kind of well, answer to that question. Especially when you learn that patient zero was in the machine for five years. It's like five years just is not a long enough time to like evolve into a complex life form. Right, right. You know, like even, okay, even with electrical stimulation. like. Yeah. It takes a little more than that. Yeah. Um, now, if you had said, like, this thing, this, you know, uh, uh, space station that we find had been abandoned for, like, right. thousands of years or, right. you know, longer, like, okay, maybe then you're starting to talk about, yeah, you know, something yeah. evolving, you right. know, out of the goop in Actual the corner of your eye. But evolutionary time spans and everything. Right. Yeah. Um. But yeah, like, oh, this is patient zero. He's been in there five years. <laughs> oh, yeah, five years. Not five. Okay, okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, not that I would want to be away for five years, but you know, it yeah. also reminded me of um, that Fair Naked Lady song. Um, uh, oh, it's off stunt. I can't remember. I think it's called um, Who Needs Sleep. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah. Yes, yes. Neither here, neither. Um, okay. Yeah, I'm 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 stretching because like I feel like like to actually get into talking about any character interactions, like there's just not much there. Like even yeah. between like the doctor and Clara, it's like Oh, you brought me to a space restaurant. Like that's the most interesting dialogue in the episode. Yeah. Um, about like the fact that like you don't call things in space space whatevers right, um, right and then like you keep getting examples of oh like space suit <laughs> right. or space pirate <laughs> right right um right she wins the semantic argument yeah. right right um, right although but like but at the same time like he's generally right like you just call yeah. it a restaurant or you just call it a whatever but they're on a space station so right like right. yeah there's you know, it is funny. It's just sort of one of those quirks of the language, yeah. I guess. But yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and and his comment about you know you don't get to name things. I'm the doctor. I do the naming. Right. Um, yeah. And then of course, what does he name the Sandman? Like he actually yeah. likes her choice. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's that's a good one. Um, so there's like little moments like that, but I don't like this is not an episode where we're getting like big philosophical you know, Doctor Who stuff. Right. Do we push the um, button or not? No. Yeah. Yeah. And even like the plot itself, it's a lot of like, run into this room, talk about something for a couple minutes, run into this room, talk about something. Oh no, we're yeah. separated. Run into this and, room, and, talk about something. Like, you know, which again, I know Doctor Who has that reputation, but I think when you see an episode like this that really is just running around in corridors, you realize how much other episodes actually 
get right. out of that premise. Like well, how how hard it is to make that interesting, you know? And and um, it's 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 uh like with this episode you only get you like okay, yeah, you run into a room and talk about something, but it's like it's all plot. So it's yeah. talk about how are we going to get around the Sandman or how are we going right. to lure them in and then run out of the room ourselves and like that kind of stuff. It's not like, so doctor, tell me, who are you really? Like, you know, right. yeah. <laughs> or something that like takes right. you out, you know, beyond yeah. sort of them. Like they never question after he shows them the psychic paper, they mm -hmm. never question who he is or like what he's doing there. Like, right. Right. It, it, you know, there's no like revelatory, like, what's her name nagata or nagata or whatever uh -huh. like she never is like wait a minute you're not really stress assessors are you <laughs> like right. like there's no moment of revelation or whatever even when like they see the tardis <laughs> like yeah like she's with them at that moment right so it's like right, right. wait yeah. what is what is this blue box that we're so eager to be headed towards right right um, you know, nothing like, like that, that could even like potentially, you know, bring them someplace beyond just this sort of yeah. monster at hand. Um, yeah, no, it's very surface with the, you know, there isn't really any development of the characters to speak of, I don't think. Um, so, I mean, okay. I don't think we need to, I, so I will, I guess, to try to end on something somewhat positive. I do think it is interesting, and I wanted to set this up to you that um, this is not a two-parter because I think in a season of two-parters, this ending would lead you to believe that there is a part two because it sort of ends on a, you know, cliffhanger, sort of unresolved, you know, somewhat ending. Um, but it doesn't. And I think that's kind of interesting that it's, I, I don't know that I can, there's certainly times that the doctor isn't, you know, victorious, but I don't know that like we've had an, like a story finish on just absolute failure in the sense of like, you know, the doctor literally never understands what was going on. He leaves saying, what the heck was that? And yeah. then, and, you know, the space station presumably crashes into Neptune. And, you know, uh, Rasmussen, I guess, succeeds in beaming out his footage to infect the universe. Like, you know, there is a sense of loss at the end. Like, not sad loss, but like... Like, this is absolutely not a victory for the good guys. Like, the bad guys pretty much won the day. Um, and we leave kind of baffled, and which is kind of interesting. Again, I wish there was more done with that. But, sure, you know, I think that's a fairly bold way to end an episode. Um, sure, sure. Yeah, I mean... And again, like... Okay, so the question becomes uh, Rasmussen Senna or, you know, San, San, San Man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sa 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 yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. work. Ras Rasmussen. <laughs> there you um, go. Uh, 
yeah, no. Like, okay, so he beams out his message, but at the same time, like, like if, if you're playing with the, you know, fourth wall thing like you were talking about, so does that mean, like, we're infected now and all of that? But, like, clearly I'm not. So, like, that also doesn't work. <laughs> Like, like, does, does, does it, is it actually effective in, you know, the Hooniverse um, as well? Like, the question becomes, like, is this, is this just a bunch of braggadocio? Like, you know, okay, so he, he figured out how to do this signal inside the Morpheus pod, but like, does that translate to this visual signal. And plus it's on Neptune. So it's going to take a while to get anywhere. <laughs> like, you know, I, I don't know. Um, I, I see what you're saying. I guess I'm a little more skeptical of like, does it actually work or not? Um, no. And I'm not arguing that it works. I'm, I'm, I'm merely again sure. pointing out potential, you know, like Fair I see that there's something that, could have been an interesting idea. And like, you know, maybe that's something I would like to see in the future, like in maybe future seasons where, you know, you're always looking for the show to try something new. I think, you know, and again, not that we haven't had episodes where the doctor isn't totally victorious, but like having just a complete disaster of an episode where like, nothing goes well and you kind of end up with you know I just, just kind of like, runs away yeah yeah and sort of this you know just the sense of like even the doctor didn't even really understand what happened is sort of I think potentially an interesting avenue that it could you know it could explore but again the next episode doesn't really follow on this one so you know it's not like it develops that idea really yeah um you know unless unless you want to be generous and say that you know you're supposed to take a sense of kind of defeat away from this episode or something you know um you know which who knows so yeah i mean i think we've flogged that horse yeah enough pretty Um, well Sorry, apologies to Mark Gatiss. I don't mean any disrespect. And Chris Chibnall, to be honest, too. I kind of backhanded complimented him as well. So <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Well, we will be back with some more Angel next week and some more Doctor Who starting the uh, three-part finale, I guess, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's kind of a, you know, three very, I'll say... This will be my teaser. Three, I think, very different episodes, but that have, like, a kind of narrative through line. So you can kind of think of them as parts one, two, and three. Um, But three much stronger episodes, in my opinion. So I think we'll get a lot more out of them. (laughs) Cool. All right. All right. See you then. (laughs) 